Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 104 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today I'm chatting with Dr. Tro, and he's famous for being just Dr. Tro, but his real name is Dr. Tro Kalasian. We originally had a recording date set for November 2021, but then Louise was working full time and going back to Australia, and we didn't know what was going to happen with the podcast, so we cancelled the date. And he's taken us all this time to get him back. As you'll hear, he's been really busy, um, particularly with COVID, but just really busy. Still, I really appreciate him spending an hour of his time with me and with us. Dr. Tro is the other half of the Low Carb MD podcast, as well as having his own practice. We interviewed Dr. Brian in episode 42. Um, and I was also on their podcast in episode 231. So the Low Carb MD podcast 231. So let me tell you a bit about Dr. Tro. Dr. Tro Kalasian is a board certified physician practicing internal and obesity medicine with a focus on diabetes, hypertension and lipid management. His focus is on implementing lifestyle and dietary modifications wherever possible. Dr. Tro Kalasian himself has lost over 150 pounds and has also worked with over countless patients with weight loss, diabetes and hypertension through remote consultations via telemedicine equipment and software. Dr. Tro has published research in the fields of binge eating, food addiction, severe hypertriglyceridemia, using therapeutic ketogenic diets and intermittent fasting. And one thing that Dr. Tro didn't say, he is very much involved and on the board of the Society for Metabolic Health Practitioners. So I'll just add that in there as well. Welcome, Dr. Tro, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Excited to be here. Very happy to be here. You know, uh, I have so many people that reached out to me after your podcast, uh, aired a couple of weeks back saying how, how they loved you and, and hopefully they're reaching out to you. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be back here. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, and we had this booked in for November and then we had to cancel and trying to get you back in my diary has been a big challenge. So it's taken us eight months to get you back. <laughs> Being the pandemic, I know if I'm not mistaken, Amy was on your podcast, my program director, uh, Amy, I guess she's just an amazing person. Uh, she was on the podcast and she was like, Troy, you got to go. And I, I wanted to go, but the pandemic, you know, it reared its head come December. And then again, you know, uh, April or May, 
And and then I got COVID twice in between those two times. Oh god! I had to, can- I had to cancel, uh, uh, you know, trip to Low Carb Boca, you know, the SMHP conference that uh, that's held in Boca every year. And uh, then I got COVID again this past June. So it's been a busy time, you know. Yeah. But I'm here now. Excellent. We shall make the most of having you on. So we always ask, where in the world are you? Yeah. So I am in. Uh, just outside of New York City, okay, uh, in the United States. Uh, the way it works, if you have U.S. listeners, you know, most medical doctors are licensed in one or two states. Uh, because we had so many really desperate calls for help all throughout the uh, United States, we ended up getting licensed in all 50 states. And uh, the reason is, is, you know, why should you be you know, why should you be relegated to a doctor you don't like, you know, near you if they don't understand the lifestyle you're on, if they don't understand the health issues that you have and don't support your dietary choices, why should you have to stay with them? So uh, we are in every state. So I guess that's the to answer your question. We're in physically in New York, you know, but we're in every state. So you can work anywhere in the United States. Excellent. Yep. And hopefully more low-carb doctors will do that because, you know, it's very different where you are to where we are because we have our NHS system and therefore you're allocated to a specific doctor within your area. And where I live, there are, there is no choice, really. Um, so we're very stuck with who we've got. And if they don't believe in the low-carb method, then you're not getting the right information. Um, so it's it's challenging. But luckily, they can reach out to you in America. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've recently hired another doctor. Her name is Dr. Laura Buchanan. She's also on the board of directors for the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. And uh, she is also licensed in several states and will expand those licenses. Really because, you know, metabolic health doesn't have state boundaries um, and people need help. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, our mission is to end diabetes and obesity. So we want to reach as many people as we can. And state boundaries is not one of the things that we want to be limited by. No, absolutely. So why don't we start with, because we, we always ask our guests about their story and how they came to low carb. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and how you found low carb? How far back do you want to go? As far back as you like, as far back as the story begins. Okay. The story starts as, uh, you know, my parents came here to this country, okay, with basically nothing. Okay. They had to work two full-time jobs. They had three kids. Um, and we were relegated to a mix of our, you know, Armenian cuisine, which is a Middle Eastern cuisine. Uh, a lot of rice, pita bread, you know, pachlava and et cetera. And, uh, and a lot of cracked weed and whole wheat grains mixed into even meats and salads like you know tabbouleh, called tabbouleh. But uh, so that's kind of what I grew up on. But since my parents were so busy, they really and and they didn't they didn't have much. We were you know you know we were forced. To, I remember at a young age, eight years old. You know, my mom would wait for Burger King to offer like a two for one on sandwiches and she would buy a bunch of sandwiches and freeze them and put them in the freezer 
wrapped up. And she said, if you guys are hungry, just take it out of the freezer and put it in the microwave. I mean, so we grew up on a mix between cereal boxes and Burger King sandwiches, you know, really because my parents couldn't, you know, couldn't, like they were working, they were busting their butts. No, just to make any Yeah. And I remember at eight years old was the first time I realized I was overweight because, you know, and this is embarrassing, but I'll share it. Uh, at eight years old, I was in third grade, you know, we had a winter recital and I was the reindeer in the winter recital and I had to run in place, you know, I had to run in place and, and, uh, one day, uh, it snowed outside, so they couldn't let us out. And so they said, oh, we'll stay in the lunchroom and we'll show you guys your winter recital on the, on the projector. And there I am at eight years old already, you know. I have gynecomastia, which is the fancy way of saying man boobs, you know, at age eight. And I'm running in place and basically my belly and my, you know, man boobs are jiggling on the screen. And the entire class laughed. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that the entire class laughed that bothered me, actually. It was the lunch lady laughing that bothered me the most. I remember uh, when she laughed. Um, I remember it to this day, actually. So that's my life. I grew up in a primordial lose of... You know, mom's overweight, dad's overweight, mom's got diabetes, you know, mom's dragging me to Weight Watchers. I remember going to Weight Watchers with her at least once. Uh, and I, you know, grew up in the modern food environment. And so, which led me to obesity at age eight. I mean, I was stuck in the, you know, standard diet matrix. Yeah. But I had a strong passion to get to be healthy. I remember, you know, very young age, I wanted to get healthy. And I was, I loved medicine. I remember being 12 years old or 13 years old, sitting in the doctor's office where at, at 12, I was the current weight I am now about 205 pounds or so. Um, and I go to the die sat, I remember for my, you know, annual physical, which is on your birthday as a kid, uh, or near your birthday, right? I yeah. sat in the doctor's office for like three hours and then he put me on a scale and told me, you have to lose weight, you have to eat less. And I thought to myself, like, you know, this guy just told me to eat less. And I'm sitting in his office watching TV for three hours. Why didn't he put a treadmill in his office? Like, I remember having this, like, who the f*** are you? You know, excuse my language, right? And, uh, and I remember thinking, like, I have to do something about this. And so I was so ashamed, embarrassed, and wanted to change. I actually became anorexic at age 13. I didn't eat for like a month, right? My first episode of stint. And then it was followed by not eating any plants for like almost another year. I mean, sorry, not eating any meat, only plants. Yeah. Right. So it was basically a diet of Diet Coke and lettuce and carrots and celery. And uh, I lost a lot of weight, but it was a miserable life. And I'd say my mental health probably really suffered. Um, it was already suffering, you know, it was like I had my own issues to work with, but this was my primordial lose. This is where I can, this is where I am. I and mean, I'm sharing my deepest things, but this is where I came up with it. It was suffering, obesity, not understanding, shame, guilt, and a medical system really unable to help me manage weight or my mom manage weight or my dad manage weight or my older brother who, you know, or my younger brother. Yeah. Right. We were all overweight. So 
this is, but I was so, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I remember that day, it's like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to do better than all of them. I remember that in that office. I was like, I'm going to have an office and it's going to have treadmills in the, in the, you know, in the waiting room. And do they? Do they now? No, we're working on it. We're working. (laughs) So, you know, it costs a lot of money, but okay. So here's the thing. Um, what, what we do have in our lobby now is seats that are very wide. They don't have armrests. Okay. And they hold up to a thousand pounds, right? What we have is an inviting environment for people who, like me, were ridden with shame and guilt, have their own mental health issues they're working through, and they can come in and comfortably sit and feel like a human. Yeah. Right. That's what we have. Yeah. And I guess, and I guess that now from where we sit and the perspective that we see, we don't think that standing and walking on a treadmill while you're in the waiting room is necessarily the best place to start you know it's a tool that we use but it's not the first place that we need to look at so why do they need to walk on a treadmill it's like saying you have to walk on a treadmill but you don't yeah i mean like look my i can tell you that my you know my concepts have really changed my understanding of uh obesity in general has changed significantly um so I did have a reprieve from obesity uh, due to anorexia. Uh, I got no help, no guidance. Parents also still struggling throughout my life. Eventually passionate about medicine. Go into, you know, finally study hard in college, right? Navigating my mental health. And I tend to gain weight. I gain about 10 pounds per year every year through college, then through medical school, then through residency. And ultimately, I'm a 350-pound, board-certified internal medicine doctor, right? And I was trained in Yale, scored on the 90th percentile on my board exam. I was smart. I have determination. I have willpower, right? I made it. I'm there. Here I am, right? And I have the brightest minds around me in the field of medicine saying, why don't you count your calories Maybe you're depressed, which I wasn't actually depressed. I'm like, you know, I was, I took the PHQ-9 so many times, the survey for like depression, just because my colleagues were saying, maybe you're depressed. Zero score, zero score, zero score. You know, I'm like, I was so desperate because I didn't know what was driving my obesity. Mm. Kept telling me to eat less and count my calories. And I just did not work. So I accepted it. For a bit, I accepted it until my wife was like, my wife, just an amazing human. Um, it's like, Joe, you know, you're a smart guy. She play, she knows how to play me. My wife <laughs> knows how to play me. She's like, you're a smart guy. You scored on the 90th percentile on your board exam. Go figure it out. Go figure it out. What would you do if it was pneumonia? What would you do, you know, you diagnosed an issue with my dad, you know, dad's heart. What would you do if it was a heart issue and somebody you cared about? I'm like, I would read about everything and look at the interventional trials, see what does better, you know, understand all the biases in the field and try to really understand what the truth is, read, you know, read all opposing viewpoints and then figure out the best way forward for my patients. So it's like, okay, go do that. Right. And then you go do that and you understand it's all a house of cards. Yeah. It is a lie that's been pulled over all of us. Counting calories, saps energy and motivation. Lowering fat doesn't work. Lowering calories, you know, 
as a strategy does not work. Counting points, counting cow, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. Low carb always does better, not by much, but always does better. Right? And if you look at why people fail at dieting, it's usually because they feel deprived, they feel hungry, right? And they don't know how to manage their mental health. Yeah. Right? So this is why people fail and they don't know how to manage social situations. Cravings and so okay. So I go low carb, I read, you know, three thousand papers, you know, I read three textbooks of obesity, I read you know, at least 400 diet books from opposing camps. I get board certified in obesity medicine and it's all freaking lies. Mm -hmm. They lied to us from day one. It's all bullshit, right? And I'm now I'm at. Do you think they originally thought they were lying or did, do you think they originally thought that they were, they were onto something and then it just got you, I don't care. I really don't care. Yeah. Whether it was a noble lie, whether it was a mistake, I don't care. I don't care. They messed up. They did. And they don't even admit it now. Yeah. They don't know it now. They ignore it now. The doctors are all sitting there on their high horses thinking they know something about weight loss and obesity. They know nothing. Yeah. Right. And I, my mission is very clear now. Right. So fast forward, I lost 80 pounds the first year walking on a treadmill. Right, just walking, <laughs> just walking, a crazy exercise, but eating low carb. Yeah. So, and what then, was what was the pivotal thing that said I've got that made you think I need to try this? Was it any one specific? Oh yeah, I'll just, tell you, yeah. You looked at every study, A to Z study, all the studies. Basically, anytime you you put head to head Atkins low carb right against anything, it always did better. Okay. It always did better. Not by much, maybe five pounds sometimes, which is really not much. But it was that was it. I was like, if this was a drug, I'd go for the better drug, yeah. right? The one that the one I'd recommend to my family would be the one that did five percent better. Yeah, right. So it was not like a I I was ex vegan. I would have you know I'm fine eating you know I ate, I basically didn't eat and ate a bunch of diet coke and lettuce for you know a year. Yeah. I got no problem with that. I'll do that. I could do that for a finite period of time, except my mental health really suffered. Yeah. So it was the data. And then when you look into the data, you see it was all a bunch of noble lies and half truths and, and just, or flat out lies. Yeah. Like industry manipulated lies. Right. When you look into the global, you know, energy balance network, when you look into ILSI, all of the, you know, the Seventh Day Adventists, I mean, it's all there. It's either religious or financial uh, bias that pushes that pushes this agenda, and ultimately it affects government policy. And then at that point, you're trapped. Yeah, you have industry and and government saying the same thing, and then you have authorities in the field saying the same thing. This is a, you know, your your you know bullshit meter should be going off. If industry, government, and authority, right, saying the same thing, right, it's if there should be checks and balances, right? No. So somebody should be like, wait a second, maybe we should think about this differently. So in any case, yes, there's uh, there were serious problems, and I had to disregard everything I was taught, you know, which is eat less, eat small portions, eat you know, blah 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 blah, no calories, avoid fat. You know, eat multiple small meals, just nonsense. Yeah, we know it doesn't work. 
So when that, was this? When no, you... that's not true. So here, that's not. Oh true. yes, no, it does work. But if it for a does, period of time, if it does work for about seven to fifteen percent of the population, that can work, right? If you look at you know roughly seven percent of the United States population has no components of metabolic syndrome, seven percent. Yeah. So maybe for about you know what, let's say five to ten percent, it'll work. Because they, they just have no appetite. They're chronically thin people who, you know, actually a study just recently published by John Speakman showed that chronically thin people naturally eat less, they actually exercise less, and they have higher metabolisms. Literally proved it. So those people that it works for, they're about 10%. And guess what? They're much more likely to be dietitians, much more likely to be doctors. So the 10% of your authority figures who are telling you to do this, right, they're born a third base. Yeah. And for the rest of us, you know, we have to just eat foods that make us full. Yeah. Right? And, and foods that make us eat more. Yeah. And cutting calories does work, but it's not sustainable. It's not healthy for your body, and it's not sustainable. No other animal counts calories. We didn't understand the concept of a calorie before 1970. Yeah. And there was no obesity. It is an asterisk to the management of obesity. It is a side note. It is something that should be forgotten. It is like thalidomide, right? It is like Vioxx. It is something that should be buried away and used very infrequently because it's ineffective and it actually demotivates you on average. And if it worked for you, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. If it worked for you, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Yeah. So when was this when you started your low-carb journey? Ah, oh, this is about seven, seven, yeah, actually it's seven years ago. Seven? I'm in my eighth year now. Yeah. Eighth year. So, uh, yeah, 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 it's about, because it was my son is six. It was before we were pregnant. You know, really, like, I started looking to it right when my wife got pregnant. So it's going to be, I'm in my seventh seventh year, coming on the eighth year. Yeah. If I remember yeah. rightly, your wife said to you that she wanted you to be around when when your children were growing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fortune teller said I was going to die. <laughs> so, you know, that really, uh, that really, you know, the fortune teller didn't see me, but fortune teller <laughs> said that. So, you know. That got my wife concerned about me. Yeah. So it's been, so after the first two years, I was like, and when I got certified in obesity medicine, my mission was clear end diabetes, end obesity, full stop. So I've devoted my life in the last five years. We have a telemedicine practice. We're in every state. We've helped over, you know, about a thousand patients lose 40,000 pounds. Wow. Right. We've reversed diabetes consistently. And, uh, now corporations are hiring us to help get their employees healthy. That's how successful we've been. And so uh, we're very happy. You know, we're, we're our, you know, our work is cut out for us and uh, we're bringing on another doctor, Dr. Laura Buchanan. You know, we have two amazing health coaches. We have a personal trainer, you know, and um, we have great, just a great staff. We have uh, my medical assistant, Tori, She's now getting, uh, Tori Jones, she's getting mental health counseling and she's going to become a mental health counselor. Um, we, you know, my office manager, she's just fantastic. Just, we have a great, 
great team. We have an app, the Dr. Tro app. Uh, we have small groups that run there. We have a, you know, large groups that run, uh, every week. We have, um, you know, we have full curriculum with videos and, uh, you know, fully cited, uh, way for you to progress. You know, uh, I'm a big believer in asynchronous care, meaning you stay at home. You don't need to come to see me. I'll, I'll have your blood pressure cup connects to me. Your ketone meter connects to me. Keto mojo, ketone meter. Your continuous glucose monitor will connect with me, right? Your scale, biometric scale with water weight will connect with me. So you're in your home doing your thing. Yeah. I'm learning about you as your physician, right? And I'm able to reach out to you when we think you may need help and say, can we help you? Right. And you, we're available to you by text message. Text message us when you're struggling. Right. We are, you know, we've created something special here and maintaining that culture is, is so important to me. Um, you know, and, and, and our, we're laser focused on our mission. Yeah. You know, diabetes and obesity. And I think hand holding people, especially in that time when they're struggling or, come off i hate the word come off fall off the wagon but i say come off the path if they've deviated off the path for whatever reason is if you can catch it quickly and get them back on track they stand so much more chance of making it and succeeding and not only that i find that being low carb it's much easier to get back on track you you don't feel like you just oh i had this off day and I went to my friend's birthday party and I had some cake. Ah, oh, that's it. I'm just end it all. I might as well eat everything now for the next three months. Unless you've got an, an addiction, you don't necessarily, you don't do that. You tend to think, okay, that's okay. I'll get back to it tomorrow or I'll get back to it at the next meal or the next bite of food, whenever it is. It's so much easier to, to continue rather than if you're doing some other weight watching program. Um, where you just throw in the towel and say, that's it, I can't do anymore? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I think the reason for that is it's it's likely the fact that a lot of hunger is mitigated, right? So when you abstain from carbs, certain hormones are upregulated, like GLP. We use drugs now for GLP, which are fantastic drugs, but low-carb dieting raises GLP and makes you full, right? Adding carbs back will deplete GLP. It raises neuropeptide YY. It raises CCK. These act on your brain and say, stop eating. When your blood sugar is stable and you're not roller coastering, you're not doing dynamic changes in blood sugar, you are less hungry. You're less likely to eat. Your cravings are less and it's associated with weight loss and eating less. So you are hormonally driven to eat less. Right. And then there's the mood stabilizing properties of ketones themselves. They prevent seizures, they prevent migraines, and more and more data comes out showing the mental health impacts. We just had a study um, uh, with uh, George Ede and uh, a case series of 31 patients literally in a, in a uh, psychiatric hospital showing that a ketogenic diet reduced, you know, mental health symptoms. Yeah. So, it's very clear that hunger and mental health can be mitigated by uh, low-carb eating to some extent, right? And Verda showed two-year data showing that people with diabetes who maintain their low-carb diet decrease their depression scores by about one-third. 
right? Which is about power of drugs. And we know this, right? Uh, somebody in your neck of the woods, uh, well, not now, but um, that, uh, Professor, well, you're in Thailand, Thailand? No, no, I'm in the UK. UK, yeah, yeah, okay. So Louise is in, was in Thailand and is now in Australia. Yeah, so, so, um, so uh, Professor uh, Jacka from, uh, you know, we may, we may not see eye to eye and everything, she did the SMILES trial 10 years ago showing that just real food can lower depression scores. So um, while I do not think a diet per se can change learned helplessness and all or none thinking, it can certainly help you change it, right? Like it can help take some of those negative you know, the, the hunger away, the give you satiety, make it easier to uh, maintain. I think part of most people, and certainly have positive mental health impacts, most people's journey requires an understanding where that all or none thinking comes from, mm. right? Where is it rooted? It's not like we don't do that with our cars. Like, ah, oh, I got a flat tire. Let me stab my tire, smash my windows, and I'll start again in New Year's. Yeah. Right. We don't feel shame or guilt when we get a flat tire and then not seek out help, right? If we see money missing from our bank account, when we call the bank, you know, the bank teller doesn't say, listen, you just got to make more money than you spend. They actually try to help you and figure out what the problem is. Yeah. Right. So you have to understand both the internal and if they did say that, who would accept that? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I have to put more points of money in than I take points of money out, right? Yeah. We, wouldn't, we wouldn't accept bad advice. So you have to understand that that self-advocacy difference, the mentality difference, the emotional differences, right? When my wife says, hey, Troy, you have a flat tire, I would never say, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I'm a grown man, <laughs> right? But tell her to not tell me, she tells me not to eat pizza. I'm feeling that way, right? I'm feeling angry, agitated, opposition, fine. So you have to understand that the, the nature of our relationship to food, right, it is rooted in a impulse that will not go away. And we're trying to navigate, you know, and ultimately we don't control. We do not control our hunger. No. Right. And so how do we get out of that all around thinking? How do we recognize the self-advocacy difference, the emotional differences and where those things are rooted in? This is like you can't do it. Most doctors can't do it. Most people, like, I mean, you probably know what I'm saying here. You know what I'm saying? But, like, even most people, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just an opposition defiant person, right? I'm just, I just get angry and agitated. I don't want to change. I'm, I'm stubborn. Yeah. Or say, you know what? I tell myself, I, I, I'm a self-sabotager because I say, you know, I should eat my kids' leftovers and then I eat it. Or I say, I've been doing so well. And I might as well have some, or I, you know, I deserve a little bit, right? I'm a self-sabotager or, you know what? I just, I'm a dumb, dumb, you know, I couldn't say no to it, you know, when it was in front of me, right? You see how much self-blame, this is me, 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 I, I, I self-blame, right? And that, that's a trap. Yeah. That is full on trap for somebody suffering with obesity. And, uh, it's tough. The doctors don't understand this. No. You know? And they, and and it's not the person's necessarily the person's thoughts that are guiding this. So part of it might be the thoughts that they're having. So you need to change the thought. But the other is the food that is pushing it as well. And like you say, the hormones, we can't control our hormones. We can 
make better choices to improve our hormones, but we don't control them. We have no control over them. So we we don't know what is going on in our body at that any particular time. The only thing we can do is support our body the best we can and give it the best nutrition that we have available to us at any given time and choose those supportive foods that will enable the hormones to stop us doing those detrimental things to our body. Look, absolutely. We don't, we don't control these things. Right. And so the issue is, um, the issue is, is how do you make people aware of the nature of the disparity? Right. If your car and your money, you wouldn't emote your way out of its health and you wouldn't logic your way out of its health and you wouldn't shame and guilt your way out of its health and you wouldn't, you know, self sabotage and you wouldn't self blame. And so where, what is the nature? of this right where is this coming from where is this where is this coming from and if you don't know where that's coming from there's no, you don't have a chance you will win battles i lost weight doing it and then it all fell apart mm-hmm. right how many times you heard that one yeah. right i was one vacation right it was my birthday and i had a piece of cake right i just i'm just stubborn you know i just can't do it yeah right so if you don't understand the nature of it you're on a road. You're on. You're gonna. Your destiny is yo-yo diet. So the step one is you can't. You can't put in a nutritional plan for a behavioral problem. Yeah. Right. You can't do that. No. Right. You need to. A nutritional plan is an adjunct to a behavioral problem. Now, not everybody has a behavioral problem. Literally, some people. You know, like if I tell my wife, you know, <laughs> don't eat that pizza. She's like, ah, oh, you're probably right. You know. She put it down, right? Yeah. She doesn't have a emotional issue to work out with food. Yeah. So she can accept a nutritional plan. So here's the problem. Only 10% of people can do the crap standard mantra advice. Yeah. And of the 90%, a large amount have need a deep understanding of what they're up against. They don't need a nutritional plan. Some of them could just follow a nutritional plan. And you see them on social media, you know, I did keto for three seconds and I lost a million pounds. Okay, right? Many of us, if you're listening to your my podcast, right, they'll probably need a deep dive into their behavior, into their relationship with food. And they need, they need insight, right? And a nutritional plan is not insight. No. Right? And, because, and so this is my job. Yeah. If I mean, you don't deal with the behavior that day when you're not sticking to the plan, you can't get back to it. Yeah. If you don't understand what's going to, what's causing you adversity. Yeah. This is a big thing. People are like, Troy, why are you so laser focused? I literally had somebody say, I, I, you know, I rarely get criticism, but somebody said, I felt like, you know, you wanted me to fail. I'm like, no, I'm interested in what would cause you to fail so I can prepare for you. I can prepare you for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a compassionate thought. It's not a, you know, understanding your weaknesses, right? Is, is, and being aware of your weaknesses helps you prepare for, prepare for those weaknesses. It is compassion to future you. It is making it easier. Like, you know, every time I go to my friend Mikey's house for dinner, for, you know, he's a vegan, I end up eating pasta and, you know, cupcakes. Okay. Well, like, Eat before you go. Bring, you know, a nut-based, monk fruit-based dessert cupcake. 
You know, this is a behavioral problem, not a, it is a behavioral and practical issue, not a nutritional, uh, you know, not nutritional advice. It's a, it's a a behavioral issue. Absolutely. And then that's what you do. That's what I do is help people navigate those situations that they're in. I wanted to ask you something because one of my clients um, contacted me this week and so she started working with me in 2020. She's around 70 years old, 71 or 72 years old. She came to me with an HbA1c of eight and her best reading so far has been 6.2 and her diabetic doctor, so she's in the States as well. Her diabetic doctor was over the moon, but she was recently hospitalized because her blood pressure was high and the afterwards she had a um an appointment with the doctor who told her that 6.7 hba1c is too low and that she should be between seven or eight can you believe that i was just gobsmacked let me help you let me, help you. Let me decode it for you okay you I, want- I understand it, 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 she's with she's in the She's learnt in the normal way that all doctors learn, I guess. I'll, I'll say my point, and then you can, then you can come well, in. I'm going to tell, me- tell you it's it's nonsense, but I'll tell you how they got there. They're okay. looking at six sick people whose HbA1c says normally between seven and eight, I guess. No, so so this is this is what they do. Okay, the Accord trial, uh, which came out about ten years ago, showed that intensive medical therapy did worse than relaxed medical therapy, meaning that if you treat somebody to a goal of A1C of six, okay, they will be they will be worse than an A1C of seven. And if you understand how would you treat somebody doing an A1C of six, it would be aggressive medications that cause hypoglycemia, like sulfonylureas, which are actually a lethal medication. No person in this country, if you're on glibride, glomipiride right now, you need to call me. If you're on glibride or glimipiride right now, you need to call me because somebody's doing malpractice on you. It is, you shouldn't, no person should be on this medication right now under very, very few circumstances. But this is commonplace, by the way. So these medications like insulin and two, so that's what's required. That's what's lethal. That's why the harm is there. That's why an A1C of six isn't ideal versus seven. Mm-hmm. because the medications it takes to get there. Now, as we age, right, we know we're even more susceptible, right, because, you know, uh, to hypoglycemia. And the adverse events of those medications goes up. And, and as we age, those medications can become more lethal. So we liberalize A1C goals even more in the geriatric population, okay? So then we, because the medications are that much more harmful, Right. That much. So, so she is not saying something technically wrong, okay. right? Yeah. She's not saying something technically wrong, but it's wrong. You and I recognize that. Yeah. It's wrong because she's not, you know, she's just not properly being medically managed. Why is this person not seeing me? Jack, you got to send no. her to me. <laughs> so, um, these are the people we can help, you know. Uh, thankfully, of- it was just an, uh, a hospital doctor and, what my client said to me was she told me this and she said, I've asked to speak to my diabetic doctor and I think he will come back with a different response. But yeah. Um, okay, look, I'm going to tell you. In, in, in two years, she's more than half her insulin that she's taking. So. She's still on insulin? Yeah. 
Can you look? Uh, can you do me a favor, Jackie? Okay, whoever this person is, if you're listening to this podcast, okay, at this point, right? If you're still on insulin, there's a problem. Okay, there's a problem. You should be if you are in your seventh decade and your A1C is below seven, your insulin dose should be reduced. You should likely be off of it, and you need proper help. Okay, you need proper help. So. This is a problem. This is why we made, Jackie, the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. This is why we made it. We made a physician's organization with accreditation. With Because five years ago, I went to Doug. I'm like, Doug, we don't even have a medical organization. We don't even have a standard language. It's the Wild West. Everybody's doing something different. So now I sit on the board for the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners because we need to get doctors trained in this. So whoever your client is, please... Come see me. Or, yeah. or see Laura, Dr. Laura Buchanan. She's coming. If you don't want a social media punk like me, we have a very <laughs> nice, proper, young doctor. Her name is Dr. Laura Buchanan. She's great. She's great. Yeah. But this is our bread and butter. This person shouldn't be on it. I mean, I, look, I don't know. This is not medical advice. I don't know you. I don't know your whole chart. But if her A1C is in the sixes and she's still on insulin, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, she does have a sliding scale. And she does adjust it uh, depending on what her readings are. So sometimes she's only on a very small amount. I mean, more than half is she's down, which, but yeah, she needs to. Okay. I have mentioned her to you. I have mentioned you to her. So um, those are the people we can help. You know, these are truly the people that have no support from their doctors. Right. And a lot of times, you know, there's, there's, you know, even within the medication management, um, you know, there are there are medications that help with blood pressure that also help blood sugar that can help people get off insulin. So, but a lot of times patients have been on it so long, right? Doctors don't want to rock the boat. And even, even medically, there's things to do, Yeah, right? Even medically, there's things to do besides the nutrition and the coaching. You know, which you're clearly, I'm sure you're providing well. I mean, it sounds like you're fighting against the doctors. To yeah. some degree, right? I mean, her diabetic doctor has been helpful and he has been lowering the medication. But, you know, I can't advise her on lowering medication. But, okay. And he has been titrating it down over time. But whether he should have been more aggressive in titrating it down, I don't know, because that's not my area of expertise or you know, I'm not qualified to advise her on that. But, um, yeah, I don't know how. The other thing I was going to ask you is, as people that have high blood pressure, <laughs> we should we think, or I think, I don't know about anybody else, my personal opinion is, if they're doing low carb, that blood pressure should come down and they should be able to get off high blood pressure medication. But quite often, I don't see clients' blood pressure coming down. Is that normal? It really depends, right? It's a very context specific. So, so if you uh, partic- I'd say if you look at the data overall, right, for low carb, there's probably about a five millimeter mercury reduction, right? So the top number will go down by about five. With weight loss, for every roughly two to three pounds, that top number will go down by one. Okay. Exercise can lower it anywhere from five to 10, depending on the types of exercise you do. So there's ways to do it. But as we age and as the pipes get calcified, right, which isn't a part of the aging process and part of disease process, right, 
as the pipes get calcified, right, just like we all get more white hairs and wrinkles, the pipes tend to get calcified. And when that happens, those more rigid pipes put extra pressure uh, on the heart, and the heart has to compensate against that, right? Mm. So as we just like we lose the elasticity of our our skin, yeah, we lose elasticity in the arteries, and so uh, you know there is an age related component to blood pressure, and so yeah, we can have um, you know very resistant blood pressures even after weight loss, even after carbohydrate reduction. About one fifth of people will will respond to salt reduction. One fifth, yeah, and meaning four fifths don't respond to salt reduction. And actually, the, the population data that people, you know, the, how it made it to the guidelines, reduce your salt, was because one-fifth benefit. And that powers the entire effect. Four-fifths will get no benefit, maybe harm. So you can try also salt restriction for a period, compare before and after to see if that lowers your blood pressure. On average, it's about five points, right? So these are there are things you can do, certainly meditation and uh, uh, is very critical. Stress reduction is critical. You can't treat stress and anxiety, uh, induced hypertension. Yeah. You can treat it, but it's, it's like impot, like, you know, it's not, uh, and then there's other things, you know, there's other things. There's secondary causes of high blood pressure. Sleep apnea is a very common one. Mm. Sleep apnea is a very common cause of hypertension. Secondary, and there's hormonal issues and, and issues at the kidney that can raise blood pressure. So it's it, it's complex. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's pretty complex. Most of the time, I'd say we're able to figure out uh, uh, a way to manage it, right? And it depends on, you know, a number of these factors. But as you age, the blood pressure tends to be higher, and it tends to be less responsive to dietary changes. Mm, okay. Even salt restriction. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then also quantify how you quantify it is a whole other thing, right? So in our office, right, like let's say I bring somebody to the office, they're very nervous, and I check their blood pressure, it could be very high, right? And so we like to use things like an ambulatory blood pressure monitor, which is like 48 hours of constant blood pressure monitoring. We give that to patients and they can track it. And this gives us a more color as to the nature of their blood pressure. Is it high in the morning? Is it high at night? Is it high when they sleep? Right. And then uh, we also like to track longitudinally, meaning like we give you a cuff and we man we track that over time. When you check at home, you know, we see where you are episodically elevated, where you are, you know, typically where you are, where your trends are. Is it the trend increasing, decreasing? So I'm not big on, you know, come to my office, have my, you know, be nervous, you know, you're walking, you're excited, and you just sit, the minute you sit down, they check your blood pressure probably inappropriately, and then just hand out a medication. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not into that. So, yeah, we see it all the time. Yeah. So, I'm very aware of the time and your time, re- your time restriction. So, before we find out how people can contact you, is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you would have liked to have mentioned today? No, this is fun. You know, this was fun. Uh, hopefully, we could do this again sometime. Yeah maybe now you've got a new doctor you'll have some more time <laughs> i don't think i'll have more time um i don't think so but, but uh i'm i'm we don't you know our mission is clear our, you know our work is cut out for us you know we're you know we have a nation to heal yeah and i know that you're very involved with the society of metabolic health practitioners so that's probably keeping you busy as well mm. 
So. Yeah, we have a conference coming up um, in San Diego uh, in August, and then we have a conference in January called, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the Symposium for Metabolic Health at Low Carb in, in Boca. It used to be called Low Carb USA, Low Carb Boca. Uh, the theme this year will be food addiction, um, and it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be really fantastic. Yeah, and our listeners get a 20% um, reduction if they use the code Fabulously Keto. So there we go. I didn't know. So that, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. Get your get your 20% off. And I'll tell you, uh, the, the Florida conference is going to be really special. Um, we have, we're anticipating very early data uh, from one of the first interventions on uh, food addiction. Uh, we have, you know, Rob Sibis, Dr. Jen Unwin, Joan Ifland, potentially Bitten Johnson, potentially Vera Thurman. And we have a huge food addiction lineup. And that's going to be the theme, uh, the theme for the first day. We also have people like Nina Teicholz, Ben Bickman. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Fabulous. Yeah. I've got my tickets for the one in San Diego, but online so i shall i'm taking the day the time out my diary and i'm just gonna watch conferences for the weekend it'll be fun yeah so how can people get in contact with you yeah uh drtro.com d-o-c-t-o-r-t-r-o.com um you can visit you can chat with my staff right on the website um social media same thing spelled out uh just yeah call us um we're happy to happy to help or or you know we're a little booked up but hopefully with this doctor coming on board uh we can start you know still caring for more people and and continuing our mission Mm, fantastic so we always ask our guests to leave us with their three top tips three top tips uh if you have a relationship to food that needs to be addressed address it with a clear focus before you know, don't treat behavior with a nutritional program, right? Yeah. Step one, answer the question, am I addicted to food? Step two, are you eating despite self-detriment? Full stop. Step two. So step one, am I giving myself a nutritional program for something that I need a behavioral program, right? Step two, am I addicted to food? Yeah. Am I eating despite self-harm? And step three, Get a great supportive help that includes your medical community. We have made that medical community to make this easy for you, right? Get help from a medical team that supports you and understands you. Those would be my three three tips. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been fabulous talking to you. Jackie, my pleasure is mine. Uh, Brian's been talking about coming on. Brian Wiley is like, oh, my God, mention to Jackie if she needs somebody. You know, and I know Laura knew that the podcast was going to be uh, uh, today, and and she was like, "Let her know that if she needs somebody to come on, you know, I'm happy to come on." Dr. Laura Buchanan. Fantastic. We shall get them both on because we've had Amy Iggy's on, so we shall get star. She's awesome. We get Brian and Dr. Laura on. Awesome. All right, Jackie. Have okay. it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I never tire of listening to doctors talking about low-carbon keto. I think in a way it gives me validation that I am okay doing what I'm doing. But it also gives me hope. 
hope that things might change for the better. Maybe we'll get to a tipping point where every doctor will understand about low carb and be able to support patients, maybe even offer it as an option. I know our local GP surgery now offer low carb and intermittent fasting to diabetics. I guess it might be too much to hope for that the eat less, move more, low fat mantras will fade away and never be seen again. But we can live in hope, can't we? It was also great to get a better understanding of blood pressure. I'm glad I asked that question because listening to all the different aspects that affect it. So some of the influences that Dr. Tro mentioned were low carb, weight loss, exercise, stress, age, sleep apnea, kidney issues, hormonal issues. So, so many different variables um, are influencing our blood pressure. It was illuminating to hear our arteries likened to our skin. And as we age, our skin has less elasticity and so do our arteries. It was also interesting that one fifth of people benefit from salt reduction. So even though four fifths don't benefit from salt reduction, we have this standard advice of reducing salt. And the other takeaway was that as you age, blood pressure is less responsive to nutritional changes. So someone on high blood pressure medication might stay on medication. But as we've been hearing, not only from Dr. Tro, that dietary and lifestyle changes do make a difference to heart health. So in the podcast, Dr. Tro mentioned the Symposium of Metabolic Health in San Diego in August. We obviously recorded before that and now we're in September. So that has passed. I did attend most of it on the live stream and so I attended it live. It was an excellent conference and a great variation of different speakers. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And I loved, again, seeing all the different doctors there that are either just coming into low carb and those that have been there for a long time. It was really great. So next January is um, the Symposium of Metabolic Health in Boca Raton in Florida. Um, and August is San Diego. I've already booked my tickets for San Diego. Um, and I'm I'm seriously considering attending the Boca Raton one as well on the live stream. I, I can't get there at the moment. So, um, but if you do decide to go or sign up, because the um, the live stream is great. Plus, you get all the videos. Remember to use the discount code Fabulously Keto to get twenty percent off. The link is in the show notes, so it'll be easy to find. And to get to the show notes, just go to uh, fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash one zero four. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. 
Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>